You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. Okay, welcome back. We're going into our third hour together, and you know what that means. It means that at the back half of this hour, I'm going to take your calls at 773-763-9278. And with a week like this, I know we have a lot to talk about, so start getting ready. But before you do, it's my uh, real privilege to be joined by Clarence Page. He is celebrating his 50th year. Oh, my gosh, Clarence, 50th year as a writer and columnist for the Chicago Tribune. His work has earned him the Pulitzer Prize and generations of committed readers. Clarence, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Edwin. It's great to talk to you again. It's great to talk to you. Hey, hey, first, as a Chicago one and one, you know, deeply interested in our politics and our society, I want to just start by thanking you for paying attention and thinking about our city and our country the way you have these long years. Well, same to you, pal. I tell you, your, your stewardship has made Chicago a better place. Hey, um, I remember back when Harold Washington became Chicago's first black mayor and our city was deeply divided and tense. You shouldered, you know, sort of the incredible burden as a rare at the time black journalist writing for the Tribune's predominantly white readership. And the burden was sort of of calmly explaining us to each other at the time and holding everybody to standards of decency and integrity and of sort of providing a calm voice in a dangerous storm. Well, thank you very much for that. And uh, it's not always easy, I tell you, when you've got a lot of hotheads on both sides. But uh, uh, that was an amazing period, wasn't it? I mean, I, I actually started, well, let me say, when Harold Washington's campaign began, I was working over, over at Channel 2, WBBF-TV, uh, as a uh, weekend reporter. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was, uh, um, uh, what, after, uh, in 84, I uh, uh, moved over. Well, I, was, I was invited to join the Tribune editorial board and become a columnist. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I saw exactly what you're talking about, uh, the uh, all a lot, a lot of uh, divides, racially, ethnically, politically, and a lot of resentments all came boiling to the surface. But uh, I, I give Harold Washington a lot of credit for, for being the kind of a politician who was also a leader who understood the different communities in Chicago and the different interests that people have, and uh, really tried his best to pull people together, even when he was being called all kinds of names. And uh, I think it was really a, an admirable mo- model of leadership. Uh, it meant a lot to me. I know that really helped to attract Barack Obama to the city. Uh, there, uh, but he came, he came to Chicago there uh, near the end of uh, Harold's, uh, uh, well, right, right before Harold died. Uh, and uh, it was a, uh, he himself said, you know, he looked, looked, looked around and he's, he appreciated the level of uh, leadership uh, and uh, the uh, certainly the organizational leadership, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, Harold Washington's campaign and uh, Barack's campaign wound up having so many similarities. I I uh, uh, wrote about an intro to a, a, a book Gary Rivlin wrote about uh, uh, Chicago and, and uh, Harold Washington's campaign, et cetera, uh, because uh, the same kind of dynamics happen. You know, if we, you, the three, three-way race, uh, you had uh, uh, people who, who represented the old guard, 
uh, and the new uh, who were uh, weren't sure of what to think about Harold Washington and the same thing with uh, Barack Obama. But in both cases, I think we all in the end of these long sagas, uh, we all learned something. Yeah, and I, I think um, I'm going to get out over my skis a little bit here. But I think that's okay. That's black really America has known about. has known about white America for a long time. I think white America did not know anything about black America. And I think mm-hmm. um, Harold taught certainly a lot of Chicago about black America, but things that just Chicago didn't know. And they were afraid of, you know, Chicagoans were, the, the, the Chicagoans were against Harold were afraid and they didn't know why. And he, he, and, and his campaign and his, uh, brilliance, his articulate, um, his funny, his, um, uh, deep sort of humanity that came out when he talked sort of said to people, you know what? It's okay to get to know me. It's okay to get to know black Chicago. And if you don't, you're missing something. And it was a huge yeah. lesson, right? Huge, important lesson yeah. for Chicago. And I, you know, people say today, they say America's more divided than it ever was or at least since the Civil War. I don't believe it. I think we were more divided when, you know, when we drank from separate water fountains, you know, or when only men could vote. I think we were, right? We were much more divided then. And how about the 60s? You know? The 60s were a very divisive time, right? Same same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Yep. So, I emotional outpouring after the murder of George Floyd. And to me, right. f- f- you know, this, the, the, the protests that I saw everywhere that I might have actually been in one or two, they, they were black and white together, um, right. demanding that we treat us all as Americans. You know, we saw something like, like, the, like the government shouldn't treat people that way. Right. And so people were saying, like, we want to be one country. We don't want to treat people differently. Right. Yeah. But this week, yeah. the Supreme Court, a Supreme Court that's really not a friend of the Voting Rights Act, told us, you know what, Alabama and a bunch of states, they actually are still creating legislative districts that are dividing people by race. What do you think of that? Well, I, I was, first of all, uh, well, I, I did my Sunday column on that, in fact, but uh, without going in, in, into the whole thing, uh, it, uh, it, that's very true. I, I was surprised, frankly, uh, that uh, the uh, two critical votes uh, in favor of the black voters there in Alabama uh, came from uh, J- Chief Justice Roberts and uh, Justice uh, um, um, uh, Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, uh, all, all of a sudden, I'm having one, one, one of these blank. <laughs> I have them all the time. Kavanaugh. This, this, this is not old age, I assure you. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but the, well, two of the most conservative members of the court, in, in, in any case, yeah. uh, came out uh, this time uh, in, in favor of, of, the, of the black voters' position. And uh, I... Uh, well, that is being a good sign of uh, that there is still some integrity on on the court. Uh, it's not full of uh, just right wing ideologues, uh, but at the same time, though, I, I say beware, uh, folks, because uh, we know that the court is going to take a position on affirmative action in college admissions probably probably by the end of June, uh, and uh, I, I suspect this may be 
a way, directly or indirectly, of, of us softening up the public for the uh, shock that's going to come when that happens. That's just a prediction on, on my part. But uh, there, it, uh, this court, judging by its past positions, it's very well situated to uh, strike down affirmative action in college admissions. Uh, and that's going to be interesting to see the reaction here, because uh, a lot of folks say that uh, uh, that uh, with college admissions, uh, that doesn't quite hit the grassroots as much as some other programs that are aimed at uh, uh, fighting poverty and uh, 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 child hunger, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we will see. But uh, this is the kind of uh, world that we're in where all of these issues are bubbling up at once. And we need some people who can be honest brokers to try to uh, uh, bring people together. Yeah. And on that, I I completely agree with you. And I'm uh, equally wary of that decision when it comes down. I am not confident. In fact, I am confident they will get rid of affirmative action. Um, but but this notion of getting a brokers who can bring us together is so difficult, and it's so difficult for journalists because it makes it seem like there are two sides that are far apart, and it's, it's a pox on both their houses, right? But all yeah. of the, yeah. I mean, all, all, everything yeah. I've seen. I mean, you, you know this. You you I mean you work for you've worked for a traditionally conservative news organization, at least on the ed- editorial board side, but Republicans. Yeah. You know, Republicans that that are conservative about things like, well, maybe less government is a better way to the same goal than more government. That's not what the Republican Party is today. It's just not the same thing. So, like, how do you yeah. deal with that? You know, it's like it's like, well, the Democrats, you sort of recognize Joe Biden. You sort of like Barack Obama a little bit like Bill Clinton, a little bit like I don't know, you can go back to Lyndon Johnson. You look at Donald Trump and 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 uh Ron DeSantis, yeah. and you look back and like say, is he like George Bush? No. Is he like any Republican that's ever been in the past? No. Right? It's like they, they've just well, 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 like you're hitting. Yeah, you're hitting on one of the key political questions of our era, and uh, I've been uh, trying to sort it out. And as soon as I do, I promise you, I'm going to write another book. Because <laughs> this way calls for a book. It's very frustrating being a, a daily journalist uh, because you've only got maybe seven or eight hundred words to try to try to bring wisdom to the world. But uh, some of these, these issues are more complex than that. And uh, what we have right now, with I mean, the Republican Party. When I, when I was a kid in the 1950s, that was uh, the the Democrats and Republicans were uh, different parties than they are now, uh, especially the Republicans. That was the the days of Eisenhower. Everybody loved Ike, you know, and uh, And the Republicans uh, were the party of civil rights and the Democrats weren't. I'm sorry, hold on, excuse me. The Republicans were the party of civil rights and the Democrats were not in the 1950s. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right, because uh, Eisenhower actually signed the, a civil rights bill that everybody's forgotten about, uh, because yep. uh, it, uh, well, to make a long story short, it didn't have any teeth to it. The, the, the right. Southern uh, racist Democrats uh, blocked that, and uh, you didn't really have one with teeth until Southerner LBJ uh, passed the Civil Rights Act of 64 uh, when I was in high school. 
Uh, and uh, uh, at the same time, you had Barry Goldwater on the, on the Republican side that year, uh, who was uh, uh, a, a, a right-wing ideologue, but at least he was a sensible right-wing ideologue compared to the uh, loony folks we've got now that, that Donald Trump has stirred up, uh, who are talking about uh, a revolution of their own kind. I mean, Donald Trump is, uh, has rallied uh, today uh, with stirring people up, as well as a number of his followers, and Carrie Lake was there from, uh, from uh, Nevada, uh, who, who uh, uh, was talking about, uh, it's not a direct quote, but essentially, go and get your guns and be ready. That, that's the message that's been sent out uh, with, with grassroots Republicans. And yet, you know, I've been apologizing for my Republican friends, but, uh, but it's hard to do it now because the polls still show anywhere from uh, 70 to 85 percent of Republicans who support Donald Trump. And he's a clear front runner uh, for the uh, nomination, whether he stays out of jail or not. And that's another issue. <laughs> but uh, it's a uh, uh, you know, it's a very different party. But that's a reflection, too, of how much America has changed. And I, I think ordinary uh, Americans uh, across racial lines are looking for some real leadership and not just the, the what grandstanding that we see in this era of, uh, of uh, Internet. And well, uh, the, this, this is my old man voice now <laughs> talking yeah. about this era in which people are, are made into political leaders overnight with a YouTube video or, or, or a Twitter tweet. Yeah, but let me ask you what counts as leadership in that sense, because I think back, I, I just want to think about the the term that Joe Biden has had so far. And the and, and, and I mean, what Nancy Pelosi did with a razor thin uh, majority in the House, the, the 117th Congress passed, you know, bills that you and I haven't seen since the 1960s monumental right. legislation that that is nearly impossible to pass much of it was bipartisan right and it got right. passed oh yeah right so so like i i mean if you want to talk about sort of like what defines the leadership that we need i i think they're doing a pretty good job yeah well i think that that we still do have people who've got some sense on capitol hill but the, the problem is i mean if you saw uh, the fracas over uh, M- uh, McCarthy's race to be Speaker of the House. Uh, yeah. It was like a zoo down there. And I mean, yep. hey, speak, speaking of Harold Washington days, I mean, did you think, think about, about council wars and those days uh, watching this, this fight between Republicans uh, there on the, uh, on, on the House floor? And it's still going on. Uh, the uh, disgruntled Republicans in the House uh, who don't like uh, the way uh, uh, the way uh, the uh, what vote for the budget ceiling went uh, for the past week now they, they just refuse to do anything and, and that legislation has been drawn to a halt uh, there in the House a lot like the old uh, Harold Washington days when Eddie Vidoliak tried to take a uh, Harold Washington seat one day there in in in, in the uh, in, in, in the city council. Uh, Let me just push back a little on here. I want to push back a little because as bad as what for those of you who don't remember, um, the city council was divided 29 to 21 and the 29 were um, uh, radically opposed to Harold Washington and they controlled all the legislation. Um, But in Congress, the people who are stopping it are not a majority of Congress. This would be an easy fix 
if the so-called Hastert rule disappeared and the Republicans said, you know what, we'll take legislation to the floor that a majority supports, whether it's Democrats or Republicans. And then this problem would disappear in one second. Right. But mm-hmm. they won't do it. They, they, they will only take legislation to the floor if it's supported by the Republican caucus, which means which means, uh, you know, and since they have no votes to spare, it means if three people or four people say, you know what, we're not for it, they won't do anything. So that is like yeah. the whole country being held hostage by some whiny babies. Right. And it, that's and absolutely true. Th- that's right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, saw this happen. I mean, they did get the, the debt ceiling vote through, uh, but then afterwards, now you've got the whiny babies who are preventing anything else from happening, uh, just to to uh, show their uh, disgust uh, with uh, you name it. I mean, it's you know, right. the grievance of the day club down there. Uh, but yep. that's not legislating. But you got people like Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren, uh, and Lauren Boebert. And some others who uh, they, they don't care about legislating; they care about fundraising, and that's what they're doing off of this. I know it's crazy, right? Because if yeah. they would just oh, yeah. say, you know what, the majority of the House will make the rules, um, and not the majority of the caucus, then they would have, uh, you know, a, a pretty interesting bipartisan caucus that would get a legislature would get a lot of stuff done. That's right, that, that, and not that fringy like good old either. Days once again, yeah, but we could do that. Not, yeah. you know, off to yeah. the fringes. We could actually get some really important stuff done, but they won't do that's it. That's right. They won't do it. Well, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, I'm afraid show business is taking over. That's going to be in my book. <laughs> yeah. Well, that show business guy got elected president, but he's on his way to jail. Um, well, do you think and that any of these from jail? I'm right. Pardon himself. Today, by the way, do you, do you remember we had an alderman back in the 80s who, who, who got reelected while he was in jail? Um, yes. Remember that? I was yes, thinking. Of, yes. Y- yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, again, but, but, yeah. but, you know, um, right now, like the people in Chicago, they, they turned out a lot. The city council's reputation is is not terrible right now in Chicago. I mean, they, they if you polled Chicagoans about the city council, the city council would poll higher than the U.S. Supreme Court is polling in trust across the country. Yeah. I mean, well, what is that? City council you? now. Well, hmm? we've got a new city council now, which is which is heavily. I forget the the numbers now, but but it's it's a heavily first term uh, Democrats who are uh, who are who are not just liberal but progressive. Uh, you've got uh, a, a new generation moving in, uh, and I, I can't wait to see what happens with this, how, how it's going to work. But it's a very different council than we used to have. And we've we got a brand new mayor, too, uh, and uh, uh, that's going to make some kind of a difference. But, uh, but here again, as you often see with, with progressives and, and other ideologues, uh, they, you know, actually having ideas and proposals is one thing. Getting them passed and, and initiated is something else. So I, I can't wait to see what happens on both I those Totally agree. And I worry as a as a Democrat on this, you know, on this side of the world, I worry that without a right of center party, we will go terribly astray. What keeps what what helps is to have this debate where you test your ideas against a sane other person who thinks a little differently than you think, and and you can have that argument. But there is no right yeah. of center conversation to have anymore because that party has vanished and become uh, a, you know a cult. 
Yeah, and, and and there are sensible people left in the Republican Party, we must point out, but they feel hamstrung because if, if, if they're not 100% MAGA, uh, they're worried about a backlash at the polls. And that, again, is a structural problem that we have got uh, with Congress now that nobody expected until we got this kind of an ideological gridlock. Yeah, I had a guest on earlier who explained it really interestingly. He said, look, because of gerrymandering and Democrats do it, right. too. But but the big the big gerrymandering right now that's made such a difference happened after Barack's second term when Democrats were blown out and the maps were written by Republicans. So the the right. big gerrymandering means that the elections that matter are primaries because nobody's going to your party's never going to lose the general election the way these districts are drawn, which means yeah. that in order to that, that since you're only worried about a primary challenge, you have to become more radical. You're pushed right. to take a more extreme side because you don't want to be called a rhino and beaten that way. So, so the, 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 one of the impacts of gerrymandering is that you cannot come to the center. You cannot talk to someone across party lines anymore. Oh, no, no, that's right. That's right. And, and it's, it's a polarization for the sake of polarization. When Harold Washington, Harold Washington, excuse me, uh, when Donald Trump first announced he was, he was running, he declared his candidacy and he started insulting Mexican immigrants. Remember that? And yeah, I, I before he even got down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I said, hey, no, he's, he's really going to the extreme now. He, he's never going to get anywhere because, because American voters are in the, in the mainstream moderates. Well, I still say they are, but Donald Trump figured out what you can do. You can gen up enough resentments out there that you can bring people out to the polls who haven't voted in years, if ever. And you got this whole different segment. Uh, and uh, that's what has happened. And Trump uh, turns to them uh, when he wants to. Well, you know, before we say when he wanted to get legislation passed. Uh, now we're going to say when he wants to break the law. Uh, you saw it on January 6th when he ginned up uh, his uh, MAGA uh, 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 his, his his MAGA armies out there, and, and they stormed the Capitol. And now he, he's he's generating the same kind of talk about his own indictment. Uh, so it's uh, we're we're in deep, and we can't just stick our heads in the sand about this. Well, Clarence, uh, in the print business, you have to worry about deadlines, but live radio is live, and sometimes things happen. I'm sorry that we got disconnected for <laughs> a moment. Makes, that's <laughs> what makes it exciting, you know. Yep. Uh, um, you, but you were in the middle of talking. Yeah, uh, and um, I was. I was. I really worked up a good head of steam there too. <laughs> but uh, my main point uh, was though that, that uh, I think uh, Donald Trump uh, really exploited division in a way nobody really forecast uh, because normally, uh, uh, like like you say, uh, people try to campaign toward their their, their base in the primary, and then you reach across the aisle and try to get the, the independent swing voters in the general election. Donald Trump threw, threw that out the window and just campaigned straight uh, to, 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 to the dark side. I mean, you know, first uh, announcement, uh, he, he uh, went into this rant in which he, he slammed uh, immigrants, 
are coming up from Mexico and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, man, he's not going to get anywhere with that. Uh, well, uh, it turned out he, he got a lot of people exit polling what later showed. A lot of people who hadn't voted in years uh, or if ever who got excited and came out and, and, and became MAGA warriors. And, and Trump still reaches toward that base. And, and they were the ones who uh, really were responsible for storming the Capitol, et cetera. So uh, our, uh, our politics are in a state now where stability is not just uh, an academic word. It's something we need. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, he didn't just campaign that way. He governed that way. Um, you Absolutely. know, he just said from day one, he does not want to be the whole president's country. He wants to be the president of some uh, country within a country and have him take over. Mega. That is yeah, yeah, right. antithetical to who we are. And I think America has woken up. I think um, the Supreme Court's terrible polling has partly responsible for the good ruling we just had. I think um, yeah. uh, the, the folks who are not taking the off-ramp on offer by Donald Trump's indictment under the Espionage Act are, are going to feel a lot of pressure from ordinary Americans. I think we've had it with this game, and we want exactly as you said, just leadership that just, you know, says, we've we got a job to do. You like us to do some work, so let us do the work. Yeah, I certainly hope so. It's been uh, something that I've been saying uh, for the last uh, how many years since <laughs> 2016, uh, certainly. But uh, uh, at the same time, though, I mean, Americans are already standing up to MAGA folks in their own families. And, and what, what's happened, it has divided families. People talk yep. about Thanksgiving now as being a time. Don't talk about politics. You know, uh, this really hits uh, people in the, in the heart uh, uh, with uh uh, this kind of uh, populist politics, and it's not new. America has a long tradition of populist politics that sometimes appeal to the dark side. Uh, that was how the Ku Klux Klan rose up. That was part of the prairie populism that, that mm-hmm. uh, we, we saw uh, in, in past times. I mean, uh, this is not new, uh, and uh, we're not the only country where this happens. And so it's uh, something that the people need to deal with that now. Uh, like I said, this, this is not the uh, Republican or Democratic Party that we had back in the 50s. No, not at all. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. It's so fun to catch up. Um, yeah. We should do it more often. Well, I look forward to it. And uh, please uh, have me back on sometime. We can talk I, about indeed I will. if we go off a cliff or not <laughs> as, this, as this campaign season heats up. <laughs> yep. All right. I will make sure we do that. Thank you so much. And congratulations. Yeah, sure. Wow. 50 years. Wow. Awesome. I can't believe it either, man. <laughs> Take care. I thought I'd, I, I thought I'd be at the Tribune for two or three years, and then that would be it. You know? That's how it usually yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, it stuck, and it's made a difference. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Uh, All right, everybody, that was uh, a columnist, editorial board writer, uh, syndicated columnist, Pulitzer Prize winner, Clarence Page.